Man, what a week we have been having, haven't we, Zach? Incredible. A lot going on on personal so much going, and global levels. Yeah, so much going on since we last recorded. We uh, we got ourselves a new president. That's crazy. Although at the time of recording, they're still debating. I mean, it's just debate. But anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of them's whining about it and the other's just getting ready to go in. So uh, then uh, Alex Trebek died. That was yeah. weird. Sucks. And but we knew it was coming. Yeah. And, this, and the creator of Scooby-Doo died. Oh, crap. I missed that. Oh, yeah. Creator of Scooby-Doo died, which, you know, my name is Shaggy. So, yeah, that was that that was definitely a blow to me. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, you probably hear a lack of Jonathan right now mm-hmm. because our dear friend Jonathan has finally uh, his wife. The beautiful Jaylee Pierce has finally pumped out their their first child, whose name I'm not going to say on the podcast because it is yeah. is not my place to reveal that kind of information. Congratulations! Congratulations! So, because he's off being a dad, and and we're recording on Friday the 13th, the day their new daughter was born, uh, he's off being a new dad. Uh, we went and replaced him with our good friend. And producer, Trav from Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks. Welcome, Trav. I appreciate you having me uh, on. I shall do my best. I, I'm sure you're going to do just fine. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, man. So so how have you been dealing with this week? Uh, me personally, man, like you said, it's been a little wild. Uh, kind of over Facebook, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I don't do much uh, politics, you know, <laughs> so the constant conversation of it is yeah, draining to me. I'm, it's you know it's draining I mean? one so, way or another. I bet. I, and I'm I'm someone who adds to that conversation a little too much. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm draining. Well, mostly for me, it's because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. That's, I don't follow it. That's fair. You know, so I don't want to be one of those guys that just share a random opinion. Right. And I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. Right. So, it's best. Uh, Sometimes it's best to just part. stay away from it. Yeah. I, That's what I did. Hey, man, you know what? I wish more people who didn't know what they were talking about stayed out of the conversation. <laughs> I just keep getting suckered yeah. into COVID conversations because my mom has got leukemia and my wife is high risk. And I just get so sick of people like, oh, it's a hoax. I'm tired of it. I'm not wearing a mask. But anyway, get off our uh, my platform here. And you mentioned it was Friday the 13th. Uh, no, I get it, though. <laughs> Friday the 13th, and my wife is staying at a cabin in the woods. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. How long ago did she book that? It was a couple months ago. A friend of hers um, kind of didn't completely book it without her knowledge, because that would have been a little presumptuous. But she was like, hey, would you like to? And she's like, sure, okay, I booked it. Um, And so, like, they hit it out this morning, and I was like, oh, wait, it's Friday the 13th, and you're going to the woods, is it? Yeah, two uh, ladies by themselves. Ooh. But she took her, uh, <laughs> took a can of wasp spray and some mace and all that. So if trying to wasp spray. trying to keep yeah. those wealthy Anglo-Saxon <laughs> Protestants away from her, is she? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I feel like the wasp spray is more effective than the uh, yeah because uh, the pepper spray. Some people are immune to mace and pepper sprays, but wasp spray that'll get anybody. <laughs> I don't even like that stuff on my fingers, let alone my face. Yeah. So, um, right. <laughs> but 10 p.m. recording time is so far they're okay. That's that's good. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. to hear that. Yeah. And we'll keep checking back in as the podcast goes on. <laughs> All right. Speaking of a podcast, shall we go talk about a movie? Let's do it. 
Hello, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. And I'm Zach McCoy. And filling in for uh, Jonathan is your boy Trav from Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks. And we are your Oscar grouches. Well, I'm not. Well, <laughs> you are tonight. And welcome <laughs> welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, a show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong. And what film are we watching this week, Zach? This week we watched The Great Ziegfeld, which is inspired by the life of Florence Ziegfeld. It's a film of extravagance, feminine glamour, and tales of undying ambition. Excellent. Excellent. Nice. Is this everybody's first time seeing this film? No. Ooh. It is my first. Uh, it is also my first. Trav, when's the first time you saw this? Uh, sixth grade band with uh, Mr. Swimpson. That's really interesting. Man, this is... This is a long film to be showing sixth graders. Uh, it was probably, I think it was like shown all week okay. type yeah. thing. Like, you know, last 30 minutes of, uh, you know, class or whatever. I'll tell you what, I did not know this movie was so long. When I loaded up the film and saw how long this was, and I was like, they made movies this long in 1936? No, no joking, man. Yeah. I saw the runtime on this thing, and I was like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um. Uh, we'll get around to more comments on that. That that's one thing I I do think it was maybe a little long for the subject. Just matter, a bit, but... a little. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before <laughs> before we talk about how extravagantly long this film is, let's do an Oscar breakdown. All right. Uh, let me find where that little breakdown went. It went over here. So the Great Ziegfeld was nominated for seven. Academy Awards, and it won three. All right. Of course, it wins Best Picture. Uh, it loses Best Director, Robert Z. Leonard, to M Mr. Frank Capra for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. So this is Frank Capra's second Oscar. First one, of course, being for It Happened One Night. Perennial Academy, nominee, Academy Award nominee Paul Mooney finally wins an award for the story of Louis Pasteur, which, of course, he's playing Louis Pasteur. William Powell, who played... Ziegfeld in this film gets nominated for best actor, but not for this film. Damn. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. He gets, uh, instead he gets nominated for my man, Godfrey. So in, in one year he okay. played the title role of two different films. And I don't even know who Godfrey is. So there's that. Uh, I don't know who this is referring to, so I'm just going to pretend that it's about Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah. <laughs> even though it's, it's spelled completely different. Exactly. Which, by the way... A premonition. I just found out that wasn't his real voice. This whole time's been a gimmick. That's right. I did not know that. Blew my mind. Yeah, it's it's crazy, especially when you think about the fact that so many you of know, the things... I didn't know that either. So many of the impressions that he's really, really good at, you're like, with that voice, he's good at impressions? Right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I saw I, I saw it on Howard Stern like uh, he was doing an interview on Howard Stern. And they were talking like he was in his regular voice doing the interview. And then yep. he talked about how he came up with the voice. And I was like, yeah, wow. Yeah, I'm going to have to look at that because I have no idea what it sounds like. Right. <laughs> it sounds like a regular person, like nothing special about it's it. It's definitely one of those kinds of voices where when you hear him talk, you're like, oh, no wonder he needed the goofy voice to get over. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, Louise Rayner, who plays Anna Held, his first wife, uh, Ziegfeld's first wife in the film, wins Best Actress for this. So that's one of its three. And uh, 
I personally think she deserved that one. I thought she did a great job in this movie. Yeah, I, I really liked her. I would also like to point out that Norma Shearer gets nominated for Romeo and Juliet, playing Juliet. And she was, I believe, 36 years old when she played Juliet, the 13-year-old. Okay. <laughs> just kind of like kind of like Spider-Man. Yeah. Just putting that out there for everybody. Uh so the academy uh opens up uh the awards categories from 17 to 20 this year. And two of the uh two of the categories that it adds as we discussed last week are the supporting acting categories. So Supporting actor and actress, your very first winners are Walter Brennan for Come and Get It and Gail Sondegard for Anthony Adverse. Okay. Can't say uh, I've seen either one of those, but... I haven't. Yep, me neither. Never even heard of them. So, um, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably going to get a lot of that in here. Uh, story of, the story of Louis Pasteur wins Best Original Story, which uh, Great Zeke Feld loses to that. Uh, the story of Louis. Hold on, is that right? Story Louis Pasteur wins best adaptation too. Somebody, somebody's pulling my chain here. Well, why do you think that? Because the story of Louis Pasteur got nominated and won best original story and best adaptation. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Tell, <laughs> tell me how this works. Well, if something's based on something, but it's not. Like it's loosely based, right? Like the characters are real, but the story's made up. Is that technically an original story? But it also might be based on an adaptation of see, some sort? See, and that's always the problem I've had is if it's based on someone's life, isn't that an adaptation? But right. It normally well, I'm thinking I was thinking more like rent. Like rent is based off an actual theater play. Right. One of my favorites, La Boheme. Yeah. But not really at the same time as I loosely based. On yeah. It. Uh, so I could see it yeah. is an original story, but it's based on an adaptation, I guess. But it it would, as far as the movie would go, it would fit firmly into the adaptation because as a movie, it is based off of a play uh, as yeah. a play. Uh, they don't really have a uh, based off of category. Right. You have best new play or new musical and you have best like revival. So that's kind of like, if someone now were to restage Rent, right? Not not in the original Jonathan Larson staging, which is still the the staging that you normally get when you see it on the road, right? Uh, if someone were to restage Rent and present it a little bit differently, uh, they could get nominated for best uh, revival show. But Rent makes money the way it is now, so people just don't mess with it. That, right? Yeah. Like where something. Something well, let me ask you this thing, okay? Because obviously, you know way more about theater than me as far as like the insides of it. Yeah. What about the Mean Girls theater play, where it's the play's based off the movie? That would that would be a strict adaptation. Okay. Uh, but again, if and I believe it did get nominated for some Tonys, but I don't follow the Tonys as close as I follow the I Oscars. I mean, it should have because it's an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, that's a really good soundtrack. Uh, but it would just be a uh, best new musical because they don't have like an adaptation. Okay, I gotcha. Uh, so uh, so you learn something new every day. Yeah. If so this one apparently original the... and adapted, I, I'm I'm betting it would be the only time that ever happened because they'd probably be like, oh, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, yeah, because literally nothing else. There are eight other nominees in these two categories, and nothing else is is double nominated like this. So that's 
weird to me. Uh, all right. Uh, so the short film categories switch up a little bit. Uh, they, they were comedy, novelty, and cartoon. Now they are one reel, two reel, color, and cartoon. So now we have four short film categories and comedy and uh, novelty are gone. And it was two before? It was three before. because it, it was three before, okay. It was cartoon, novelty, and comedy. And now we got one reel, two reel, color, and cartoon. Gotcha. So, uh, Board of Education wins the one reel. The Public Pays wins the two reel. Give Me Liberty wins the three, the color subject. And, of course, <laughs> podcast within a podcast, Walt Disney Oscar Watch, The Country Cousin by Walt Disney wins cartoon. Walt Disney has now won six awards in five years. So he's the New England Patriots of Oscars right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, he, he pretty much just owns that category. And I've never seen any of these Walt Disney right. uh, things that he's winning for. I really want to go back and watch them. A lot of them you could just find on YouTube. But are they on the Disney Plus? They probably are. I haven't looked for them there. They should be if they're not. Right. You would assume. You would assume. Uh, all right, so we got best scoring. Anthony Adverse wins. Uh, that award goes to the Warner Brothers Studio Music Department. Uh, best song, The Way You Look Tonight from Swing Time, which is a lovely song that I love. Um, best sound recording goes to San Francisco. The city, not the movie. <laughs> the whole city. Um, best art direction goes to a film called Dodsworth, which beats the great Ziegfeld. Uh, best Cinematography goes to Anthony Adverse, which is just cleaning up a bunch of awards tonight. Best Film Editing also goes to Anthony Adverse, which beats Great Ziegfeld. Best Dance Direction goes to Seymour Felix for Great Ziegfeld. It is also the only film nominated for Best Dance Direction that's also nominated for Best Picture. And uh, Best Assistant Director goes to The Charge of the Light Brigade. The uh, couple of... Honorary awards are given out, one to W. Howard Green and Harold Ronson for the color cinematography of the film The Garden of Allah. And uh, honorary award goes to The March of Time for its significance to motion pictures for having revolutionized one of the most important branches of the industry, the newsreel. And this is not related to March of the Penguins. Uh... No, I don't believe yeah, so. Okay. March time newsreels <laughs> like the things that would go on before uh movies at the theater? Yeah. Okay. Uh and those those were introduced into the theaters uh, about 1935 and would go on through 1951. So, nice. uh so news that, on the march. There you go. Exactly. Uh final note uh for the the ceremony that night, Frank Capra ends the night by revealing what is now the Irving G. Thalberg Award, because uh, producer Irving G. Thalberg died in 1936. He had been nominated for an or One of the films he produced was nominated for Best Picture nearly every year of the Oscars, but the first two years. And he apparently was the kind of guy who just had a driving work ethic and everybody admired him and looked up to him. He was the head of MGM at the time. And when he died, he was 37. Whoa. Yeah. And that's what that work ethic will get you. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently his health wasn't great in the, in the first place, but him just driving himself literally into an early grave 
uh, not very helpful. Uh, so they introduced the Irving G. Yeah. Thalberg Award, which is an award for outstanding production for pro- producers that go the extra mile. And that is still given out to this day. Wow. So awesome. Yeah. So there's your Not Oscar awesome how it happened, but ask, awesome about the award. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. So the great <laughs> Z failed. How, how do we feel about this film? I, um, I enjoyed it, but like I said, it, it was too long. Um, it's very extravagant and, um, tons of beautiful scenery, beautiful women. Uh, and looking at it compared to the Broadway melody, it's amazing that it's only eight years later, just how good the editing is and the, and the sets and scenery. It's like, it just makes me want to stomp on the Broadway melody even more, but <laughs> yeah, that's, those were my initial feelings. Yeah. The fact that they're both MGM, like one, one Broadway melody is credited as first, the first like big movie musical. And this is credited as the first like big extravagant music musical. And they dumped over $2 million into this film. Well, going back to <laughs> what you said last week with uh, last week's movie being the most money spent on a film ever. That was what? 2 million. Yeah. And this is 2.1. Yep. This. Pro- so now was this the most expensive or was something else nominated this year you know, that even exceeded that? You know, I, I didn't see where this was called the most expensive film at all time at this point, but I can't imagine that anything was really outspent because man, apparently that whole scene that finishes the first half of the film right before you go to, uh, go to the intermission. Yeah. Right. With that whole staircase. They said that that one scene cost over $200,000 and was more expensive than any folly that, <laughs> that, uh, Ziegfeld ever put on. I can believe it. That's I, insane. that, that was the most impressive scene of the movie to me though. Cause that was one continuous shot. Wasn't it? I mean, as far yeah, as I could just, tell, like there was, there was one cut that you can see as they push past the band director. Okay. But, uh, you know, they probably ran out of film at that point or something. So they, they just had to keep everybody set where they were. Um, but yeah, that, that was mostly one continuous shot and it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was. I, I can't fault the movie in any technical sense. No, they really, they really poured $2 million into this film and you saw all 2 million of it. But Trav, you you you'd mentioned um, off podcast that you know weren't a huge fan of it in uh, middle school, and I can't really see unless you're a total uh, theater nerd. And <laughs> this is this is the it. shit I probably would have really ate up in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> no, this this movie was god awful. I was in middle school. I'm just gonna say that god awful when I was in middle school. I don't think there's a single person in class. I who uh, enjoy this tidbit. I I couldn't even imagine. Like, I I barely liked it now. Uh, just just for how long it was. It was entirely right. too long, yeah. and it like all of the extended musical sequences that didn't really feed anything into the movie just kept continuously right. losing me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, fuck, dude. The first seven minutes is just a song playing, and them like going through the streets of. <laughs> New York or LA, or I don't Chicago, know. Uh, Chicago. Chicago, you know what I mean? It's like there's seven minutes right there. It's like <laughs> holy crap, dude. Well uh, so a good a good overture, you know, they a lot of these older 
musicals want to feel, give you that musical feel like you're stepping onto a Broadway show. Right. So most Broadway shows have an overture or used to have an overture. And, and I'm all for it. Yeah. And I think I said this off the pod to you in a message too, because I just been on such a Beethoven kick and I was listening to Beethoven's ninth symphony. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, it, that came out in like 1826 or 1836 or something like that. And it's like, dude, when you get music like that, and then a hundred years later, we're getting music like this. That's what kind of like turned me off a little bit where I'm not a fan of these 1930s, 40s style of music personally. So that's like the big turnoff for me. Yeah. It doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. The singing too is so like, um, boo bop. Types and I'm like that's just that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> what are the what are those kind of bands called? Beep boobop bands? Uh, big big band? I don't know, something like that. I don't I'm, know. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of uh, 50s and 60s musicals uh, more so than the older ones too. It's just well, go on. I was just gonna say I don't know that there's a song that necessarily sticks with me. It's like I'm not humming a tune after it, except for maybe Old Man River right. or something. <laughs> But um, yeah, and just an old man it. river comes from a different musical, so yeah. it's just in this film. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's hard to be like, oh, this film, this film is good because old man rivers in it. It's like, right. well, that's from Showboat. So, yeah. like, what you're gonna do with that? Uh, and and I'm I'm more of a fan of story driven musicals. There are musicals from around this time, and then especially in the '40s that I like way more. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. in just a couple of years, we get Wizard of Oz, right? Which is just one of the greatest films of all time. Well, when did uh, Meet Me in St. Louis come out? Oh, I'd like to say that that's like late like 40s, that. early 50s. Okay, so, uh, you know, 10 years later, you're going to get Meet Me in St. Louis, an incredible, yeah. incredible film, dude. Yeah, and I mean, you're, you're also going to get... Uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. 1944 was Meet Me in St. Louis, so not even 10 years later, eight. Right. Um, you're going to get some of my favorite musicals, like uh, On the Town and... Uh, singing in the rain comes out about in the 1950s. Oh God, singing in the rain's so good. Yeah, singing in the rain's incredible. Yeah, uh, but they're they're more story driven and and right the the songs have weight on the plot. Right. Uh, yeah, it's kind of what Disney does now. Yeah, I mean that you know. a lot of that comes from how Oscars and Hammerstein start shaping musicals because again we mentioned Showboat, which was written by uh, Oscar Ham. Oscars and Hammerstein, Rogers and Hammerstein. <laughs> I, it, it works. Wow, good job. Uh, Oscar Hammerstein uh, wrote uh, the music for Showboat, so that's just a, a little wrap up there. And yeah. I've never seen Showboat. I know how famous it is, mm-hmm. but I've never actually seen it. It's one of those things where you know it, but I ain't seen it. Yeah, and you that's pro- how popular it is. Though. You know some right. songs from it, but it's just because the songs have kind of endured. Right. Yeah. And let me say, I thought William Powell in this film was incredible. I really loved him as Zigfeld. Yeah, that was to say, that's the main guy? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. really have a problem with the acting. Yeah, the acting is, I thought, across the board is really good. Yeah. Yeah, for the times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, William Powell is, uh, you know, he's smooth and and uh, charismatic. And, you know, I, I was reading briefly, I guess, um, Billy Burke is there. Last name? Yeah, Bill, Billy Burke, the his his widow at the time of his death. Yeah, she like handpicked him to 
Like, I want him to play my late husband because he's got that same kind of charisma or whatever. Um, so I could see that, and I, I enjoyed his performance. And this guy died super young. Yeah, he was, he was, oh, not. Like 41. Yeah. Oh, 43, something like that, so. Yeah. I don't know if that's a common thing in Hollywood at that time. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's your average actor lifespan. You know, I don't know. Well, but. I mean, these guys who who are workaholics and put everything into their projects and burn themselves out real fast in a time where, you know, medicine's still kind of catching up with, with everything. Yeah. And, well, do you also think um, it could be... Uh, drug related too, like they're going heavy with alcohol heavy with the drugs probably heavy and, with the work and heavy with the women and and around this time you know cocaine is treated it treats things <laughs> right yeah yeah it's a doctor's luxury feeling tired yeah, luxury have a little drug. cocaine uh, same with heroin right when it came out mm-hmm. it was yeah. a cure so yeah opium yeah it's a huh. america america it's it's a thing <laughs> it's a thing until until they really knew what it was doing to the human body. They were just kind of like, here, have this. Yeah. I mean, they're still like, here, have this, <laughs> just not your doctor. <laughs> just in a, just in a different form. I um, noticed that, uh, the actresses, the women seem to live a lot longer though. So yeah. Not and the drugs as much maybe, or they're doing probably not safer drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the main chick, Lu- what Louise Rayner, mm-hmm. 104 years old, dude, nice. when she passed away, 104. Yeah. Yeah. That's nuts, dude. Yeah. That's, that's nuts. That's uh not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Myrna Loy, who plays Billy Burke, lived to eighty eight. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reading up on up on her and the fact that she was still doing movies in two thousand and three is mind blowing. Yeah. It is crazy oh, yeah. sometimes looking at these uh movies and seeing how how long people's careers were or how short. Yeah. Or or even weirder, like you've seen two or three movies that they were in and you just didn't realize it was them. Oh, yeah. The same like, person. Like Frank Morgan, <laughs> like as soon as he was uh, across from Ziegfeld in Chicago and he shows his first worried look, I'm like, oh, it's the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> well, the uh, the the custodian turned star, uh-huh. Ray, Ray Bolger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He's he's the scarecrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I recognize him, too. Are, are you yeah, re- he was uh, also in Babes in Toyland. Yeah. So. yeah. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this little fact? Ready. Billy Burke, who the the real woman Billy Burke, who is uh, Ziegfeld's uh-huh. uh, widow. Uh huh. She's Glinda, the Good Witch. That's crazy. The real woman. <laughs> oh. Not not Myrna Loy, but actually Billy Burke. Okay. Well. Just a, just a yeah. weird little tidbit of information. Oh, I'm a fan of. Uh... The real actress and the uh, the film actress, um, and I think you know it's a good ambition for a man to find a good redhead. Yeah. Uh, that's that's <laughs> I'm kidding. Obviously, unless you're already, I, I'm just sticking to that. That's my thing, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Hey, man. It's worked out for you so far. Yeah. And now she's in a cabin in the woods. So oh God, I should check on her. So. Let's see. Let's see. Um, better better text her every minute. Yeah. <laughs> As if he's not already. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? Uh, <laughs> have you been murdered yet? Oh, it's Friday Which the fifteenth. Don't forget. And I, I get a lot of like hate for this opinion, but I still think most of Friday the Thirteenth films are 
garbage. Oh, most of them oh. are garbage. Yeah. But that's what yeah. makes most of them so fun. I'm even talking about like the dude, like the first three suck, <laughs> dude. Like maybe they were hot when they came out. I just don't think they aged well. So by the time I saw it, I'm like, dude, this sucks. I mean, that's pretty much fair, but I, I gotta say that Tom Savini's makeup work on uh on the first one is incredible. And the fact that the twist ended up being his mother is still kind of one of those twists that can't be topped. Was it a twist, though? Or is it a twist when you watch it later because you think it's always Jason? It, and then you go back and watch it, and it's like, it wasn't even Jason. It was his mom. I, for, for what I've read, audiences were pretty much like, oh, no, Jason's out here killing everyone. And then his mom, oh, okay. his mom shows up, and she's like, old, actually. Old lady, yeah. Georgia. Yep. So that that was kind of one of those you had to be there kind of twists where af- right. after so much time, here it is 40 years later and people are just like, oh, yeah, of course, it's his mom. Yeah. Who else would it be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but You know what else is crazy, too, about films back then hmm. is that all your, uh, you know, release posters are like drawn. Yeah. 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 I, and I, I it like makes me wonder posters. when they stop doing that. Well, it's kind of coming back in a way. I don't know. I mean, uh, probably just it, computerized now or whatever. But yeah, it it's one of those things where I I think it's uh become a little more prevalent these days because uh you don't have to spend as much money to print drawn posters. Right. You can you could just have someone draw them on the computer and then release them as thumbnails as like special collectors things and. If there's yeah. enough interest in them, then you print them. Right. Yeah. So, but uh, definitely uh, the guy who did all the artwork for like Indiana Jones film, Drew Struzan. Right. He was he was kind of the big guy for a while there that was keeping hand-drawn posters alive. But he retires after, I feel like it was episode three because he was doing all- I was about- didn't they do a drawn poster for the fourth one? And, you know, was it 2007 when it came out or whatever? Yeah. And and that might have been. It was still drawn. That, m- that might have been Struzan. Uh, but off the top of my head, I don't know. But he, he retires in the 2000s. And most of the time now when you see hand-drawn posters, they're trying to make it look like Drew Struzan. Right. Yeah. I love a hand-drawn poster, though. Yeah, that's how I definitely can tell when a movie is of a certain age bracket. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Tron poster. Right. So, um, Paul, do you uh, know much about the real life Florence Ziegfeld? I mean, I, I read a little bit just, you know. No, I, I'm honestly not too familiar with him. Uh, I, had, I had always heard of this film and I'd never seen it. And so this film is kind of a big introduction to Florence Ziegfeld for me. I knew actually a little bit more about his uh, his first client in the movie, Sandow. Oh, yeah. Right. Because. Yeah. Isn't he a very aren't when they would do bodybuilders back in the day when they would do movies? Isn't it kind of based off of him? Yeah. The look he is. He is essentially like the the progenitor of the modern the modern bodybuilding movement. Right. And I know a lot about him because I'm a giant pro wrestling nerd. Yeah. And um, there was a wrestling trio in the 1920s called the Gold Dust Trio. And one of them named themselves after Sandow. His name was Billy Sandow. Nice. And to this day, 
the Gold Dress Trio is referenced throughout uh, wrestling, especially uh, some of our listeners may know of the wrestler Gold Dust. Right. And, uh, or, the, or Sandow. And <laughs> Damian Sandow <laughs> from WWE got his name from Billy Sandow, who got his name from Sandow. Excellent. But so it all comes full circle. But it sounded like you had some notes that you were going to give on Mr. Ziegfeld. Not a whole lot other than I was uh, just reading about a lot of the, you know, the shows that he put on. Um, the movie is apparently fairly accurate, though it takes some creative liberties. Um, so I was I was glad to see that because it is always nice to actually learn something from a movie like this. And um you know, he really did lose a whole lot of money in the stock market during the crash and the depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the really, the real life Billy Burke um, was heavily in debt at the time of his death and sold the, the story of his life to make this movie to help kind of get out of debt. And, and then she went back into act, acting to kind of fix that. So it's, it's interesting thinking about watching the movie and it's like, this movie is a result of what is happening up to the end yeah. of it. Yeah, and um, apparently she sold the rights to Universal, and Universal uh, was having such a hard time making the film that they sold the film to MGM, so MGM <laughs> could pay more for the movie. And, and William Powell was under contract with MGM at the time, so they loaned him out to Universal, but then it went back to MGM, so he owed Universal a movie after this. Uh. And as good as he was in this film, I, I, I definitely would have been, I would have been mad if I was universal and lost him back to MGM for the movie that I was trying to make. Yeah. 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 I I don't have any notes, you know, I don't, I never even heard of the guy. Right. Until the movie. Um, and then I look at his, like, uh, who he was and I'm like, I feel like this dude did a lot, you know, for his time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, has his own theater and, you know brought all these acts over from, you know, Europe and all this stuff. And honestly reminded me of uh, The Greatest Showman a little bit. Yeah. That movie, like his life a little bit, you know, or um, what's the name of uh, Barnum? P.T. Barnum. Yeah, P.T. Barnum. And kind of like similar, I guess, in a in a way. Yeah, except uh, for the most part, it doesn't sound like Ziegfeld exploited uh exploited his workers as much as pt barnum did because pt barnum is a piece of shit <laughs> i mean he runs a circus yeah yeah and it's so. in a time where people didn't really care if the circus was just cruel to human beings and animals yeah <laughs> don't those times still kind of exist right so yeah just a bit. Yeah, the P.T. Barnum was not near as good as the greatest showman would like to paint him. Uh, but still an incredible film, incredible, incredible soundtrack. I still need to but see I'll it. Say, I've heard uh, a lot about the soundtrack. I, I'm not a fan personally, but I do. I do think a couple of songs are decent. Well, you look here, man. You show some respect to Greg Wells. OK, <laughs> man is a legend. Legend. Uh, other note, um, quick note about Great Ziegfeld is, I just thought it was interesting that William Powell and uh, Myrna Loy had worked together like on a whole bunch of movies during this time, like all the the Thin, thin Man movies. 14? 14 <laughs> movies. This was their yeah. fourth movie together. Goodness. Yeah, they had, they had really nuts. good chemistry, and I think that shows. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're really good together in this film. Uh, but going back to uh, 
mistreating human beings and P.T. Barnum. Of course, the thing I was waiting for all through a Broadway melody pops up a couple times in this oh, movie. Yeah. Blackface performers. Blackface. Yay. <laughs> it's just... What were you waiting for? Blackface. Oh. There's yeah. <laughs> just no point to it even being in the movie, but, you know, it was what, what it is, was. 1936. I mean, it's one of those things where it's... I don't want to say acceptable to me in this movie because it's not acceptable pretty much ever, but uh, it makes more sense in this movie than it does other movies because this is probably how it exactly was at his shows. Yeah. So if you're just kind of capturing it and being like, here's blackface and then yeah. moving on, <laughs> like, okay. But yeah, the fact that you don't stop to, to dwell on the, uh, the repercussions and fallout of how blackface uh, unfairly stereotypes people is yeah always look man it's just a dude playing another dude <laughs> playing another dude okay and <laughs> the words of the great uh robert um robert downey jr robert downey jr <laughs> that, that, the the one time that it makes sense and is borderline the acceptable. two times the two the other time is uh always sunny in philadelphia oh god you've ever seen the uh the lethal weapon five <laughs> oh no, they did it twice in Always Sunny. Yeah, they did in Le the Lethal Weapon thing, and um, Bird did it, and uh, I can't think of her real name, so I'm just calling her Bird. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, she did it when she was doing her like skits or sketches of different people, and she was doing her black chick right uh interviewer mm. lady right. So some people can get away with it, I guess. Uh, just yeah. has, not to get be, the backlash. has to be done in a way that is presented. It's like, it's not okay to do it, but here it is. Right. Yeah. Which uh, is pretty much the focus of one of my favorite Spike Lee films, Bamboozled. Right. Here. I've never seen Bamboozled. Oh, this is, this is incredible. It it really gets into the history of blackface and uh, how That's it, your criteria in copyright. I got that on my wish list. Yeah, there it is. It's. I, I can't I haven't opened it yet. I need to spend some time. But when the boys are home, it's hard to watch films like this because this right. one's pretty hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. Well, do you have any other uh, things you want to mention or? Uh, uh, no, uh, I could. Uh, no, I, I, I think that's Jonathan. about it. Yeah. And ask, uh, did this movie deserve best picture in 1936? All right. You want me to go first so I can ruin everyone's day? <laughs> Well, you're not going to ruin the day. You're going to give us context. Um, okay. I think this film is about 30 to 45 minutes too long. As much as the uh, follies and the musical numbers are beautiful and extravagant and fun to watch, they really drag the pace of the film down. Yeah. Uh, I think all the performances across the board are excellent. Uh, I especially love Roy Bulger playing himself uh he's just incredible in the film and he's incredible in just about anything i've ever seen him in uh you're always gonna i'm always gonna dock points for blackface so you lose that and uh honestly i'm gonna go with no i don't think this one should have won best picture uh especially when mr deeds goes to town came out the same year and wins best director and focuses so much on the fallout of the stock market crash and the dust bowl and how 
much the country was hurting at that time. Yeah. For for them not to give the more socially conscious film best picture and instead give it to the one where they spent the most money it was the highest grossing film of the year. I feel is kind of unconscionable to me. Uh, and speaking of great films and criterion collections, modern times, the Charlie Chaplin film came out in 1936. Oh, also yeah. much better. Yes. It's such a good film. So was it even nominated? It was not. I don't yeah. think it got nominated for anything. How was Charlie Chaplin one of the most famous actors of that time frame? And uh, didn't win nothing for the most part. So Charlie Chaplin got an honorary award for being Charlie Chaplin at the first Academy Awards and won absolutely nothing after that. A shame. He's honestly the only actor I can name from uh, that time frame. Like off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, he's one of my favorites and he... I, I have plenty of his films sitting on the shelf behind me because I yeah. love him so much. Yeah. But no, uh, uh, no, didn't deserve Best Picture. I would have given it to either of those two. And I bet if I see a bunch of these films on this list, I'd probably pick those first. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we'll ask you, Trav. I know um may not have a lot of experience with movies from 1936, but I'm pretty sure I saw your expression of excitement at Mr. Deed. So what do you think? Yeah. Mr. Mr. Longfellow. Um, cause, so here's the crazy thing. When I looked up the movies from that were nominated, I had seen like four of them. Oh, wow. So it's like okay. the movies I so happen to catch that are old, coincidentally, all came out this year, <laughs> I guess. But um, honestly, I mean, I just wasn't a fan of this movie at all, period, to be honest with you. So definitely too lengthy. Um, I guess this is how musicals were done back then. But if I was to watch this now, I definitely wouldn't say it's a musical. No. There's more talking than singing. So um, there's that. But again, you got Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, A Tale of Two Cities. This one over A Tale of Two Cities? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that makes no sense to me. I don't, I don't see how that's a thing. So um, and then I've never seen that original Romeo and Juliet, but um, I'm willing to bet that... uh. It's a better film than this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, even though my opinion doesn't mean squat, it doesn't get counted towards anything. Oh, well, it gets counted um, on this podcast. John, um, you got to put this on your list now? No. <laughs> Did not deserve to win Best Oscar. Thank you. Um, yeah, I agree, too. I I love Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. I, I watched it um, only a few years ago for you know the third or fourth time with um, some of my family members who had never seen it. Um, and we all just sat around and we watched it and we sat there and reflected. It's like, you know, we could use this movie again now. Um, mm-hmm. Mr. Deeds is timeless and, and the sentiment, like you mentioned, about country and recovery and people coming together and doing good things for the good of each other. Yeah. No. And modern yeah. times, too, is better. So, no, it did not deserve uh, Best Picture. So now, yeah. Although I still prefer Adam Sandler's Mr. Deeds. <laughs> I was <laughs> waiting for it. <laughs> I, I saw it in your eyes. It's such a good film, man. I, was, I didn't know that was a remake, like not a remake, but you know. I mean, it, it is. An it's a remake. Yeah. You know, of uh, just modern times did up. So when I found that out, I went and saw it. I really enjoyed that Mr. Deeds film, but man, that's one of Adam's favorite films of mine so i will say i will say it is probably one of his one of his better films and i just rewatched mr deeds go to town back in may according to my uh 
according to my letterbox. Nice. Mm, there you go. Very nice. Um, but the other question is, is it the worst best picture? Trav, do you want to try to weigh in on whether or not this is the worst best picture? Oh, I definitely will. Because um, I didn't finish Broadway Melody. <laughs> but you guys talked about how it was, it was so bad. I just had to watch a little bit of it. And I could stomach like 25 minutes. And I said, <laughs> okay. So I can't imagine that this is the worst now. <laughs> I agree. I Broadway Melody still at the bottom. This this is kind of in the middle of the pack for me. Yeah. What I, about you, Paul? I gave I gave Broadway Melody one and a half stars. I gave this two and a half stars. Uh, I don't think it's the worst. Uh, Broadway Melody is still at the bottom of the barrel. It is taking a run, <laughs> and and I'm interested to see how much further it goes. Yeah. It might go all the way, dude. I I don't know there. <laughs> There, there are some films coming up in the 50s and 60s. I'm interested to see how, how they hold up. Uh, one of them is uh, The Greatest Show on Earth, the film about Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Yeah. Uh, is not a very good film. So I'm, I haven't seen it since I was probably in high school. So I'm interested to see how much worse it is now. Yeah. Nice. All right, Tram. Yeah. Well, uh, we definitely want to thank you for for joining us. Uh, of course, we, I appreciate yeah, you awesome. bringing me on to watch this incredible film. Yeah, thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for making this my week that I fill in. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, let's <laughs> let's thank the Pierces for their wonderful yeah. little girl for giving you the the, the chance to do this. Uh, you want to go ahead and let everyone know where they can find you on the socials. So, of course, you can find me personally on Instagram at ZK audio, or you can go ahead and check out my podcast leveling up with Benjamin banks at leveling up banks on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Patreon, YouTube, and all that. All right. And Zach, you want to let people know where they can find you? Yeah. You can find me on Critiker with my, uh, username is Zach master there. X a K K M a S T E R. All right. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Father of the Fear. And you can find me on Letterbox. That's letterboxboxd.com slash vaudevillian. Or you can look me up by name. And Zach, would you tell the nice people out in podcast land what we're watching next week? Next week, we are watching The Life of Emilio Zola, which you can find on the usual YouTube, Voodoo, Google Play, iTunes, and Amazon Prime. All right. And we would like to thank our guest, Trav, from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. You can follow the show on Twitter at Oscar Worsty Pod and on Facebook at the Oscar Worsty Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. You can do it right in the app, and the almighty algorithm will finally shine down on us. See us! For Jonathan, Jonathan, Jaylee, their beautiful daughter, Trav, and Zach. I would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>